Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's unstuck from time in the most boring way possible. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and the first thing I did when I invented my time machine was go back in time to congratulate myself on inventing the time machine. <laughs> the minute that I invented the time machine. Thus causing the end of the world. Yeah, the time machine saw each other. It created a paradox. Things were bad. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, for just a dollar a month, you can help support us, help keep us going, and get access to a bonus episode. We do a non-Criterion film over there, and uh, you get to vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, I put together a list every month, or sometimes I let the user suggest lists. Uh, always four items in a theme. And then a fifth option to make us watch uh, the 1996 movie Kazam, starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie who saves a little boy and helps him with his relationship with his father. Because all 90s movies are about your relationship about with your father. <laughs> yes, yeah. little boys have better relationships it, like, with their fathers. The hallmarks of 90s movies, helping yeah. you hear your relationship Listen, with your father. Bad A rap. lot of people... A lot Boom of people boxes. in the early '90s were very concerned about the the after effects of divorce. So, so small white boys with backwards hats. Yeah. These are the things you it, need for a '90s movie. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> mostly, it was people taking the long the wrong lessons from uh, <laughs> from Spielberg films of the '80s, right, right? And thinking, oh, we could do that. the The daddy issues thing, we got that, and not the the whimsy. The whimsy was missing. Uh, but, I I but I would argue that possibly whimsy died in the nineties. <laughs> yes, people thought they were doing whimsy because Kazam maybe certainly thinks it's doing whimsy. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, dollar a month. Uh, Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, you can help us. You can get access to those episodes. We have watched Kazam a couple times. You could make us watch Kazam more times. We watched yeah, other. Be okay uh, with it. Other movies over there, some some real interesting stuff. Uh, uh, Kenya Rwanda we watched recently, uh, a uh, Rwandan film about the Rwandan genocide. Um, we've watched uh, other movies that maybe should be in the Criterion Collection, like uh, Dog Day Afternoon. I mean, yeah, that's or, that's the, the go-to, right? Because it's like, what's yeah. happening here? Right, right. And we watched Failsafe also from Sidley right. Lumet, which was even added to the Criterion Collection after we watched it. I think it's because of um, us. Honestly, yeah, I yeah. want to give myself Our credit advocacy. for it. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully, uh, other movies we've watched over there will be added to the Criterion Collection, like Kenya Rwanda, which which is a very good movie and maybe should be, but also maybe finally Criterion, if you're listening, get working on that Ernest box set. Yes, the entire history of the Ernest collection, an unsigned minus, hero of cinema, uh, <laughs> minus the last like three. Right, Ernest goes to Africa, gets a little racist. Oh, I, uh, I, I don't believe it. I refuse to believe that's true. You should. Um, you should. Here's the thing, though. I will say, <laughs> I I've become a little bit paranoid because I follow the Criterion channel and 
those those different accounts on uh, Twitter. And given yeah. the nature of what we're doing here, coincidences are bound to happen. But being right. human, I tend to find patterns. And there's been enough times where we have talked about a movie, and within a couple months, it has been featured on their on their Twitter to the point where like yeah, they're they're listening. We have their ear. You think you think Criterion might be stalking us? We secretly? we have the ability to influence this. So let's keep talking about the Ernest uh, box set. All right, all right. Hopefully, we at least have the uh, the influence to add things to the Criterion collection because I don't think they're ever going to take all the Goddard and not make us watch any more Goddard. But... <laughs> it's like just strip it from the from those. From the... Yeah. We, you never have to watch another one. Like the sad removed, part is, I would love removed to all of their spine numbers and reapplied them to Ernest. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. I I would like. I mean, on a real fundamental level. There's not that big of a difference between an Ernest film and a Goddard film, really. Uh, okay, sure. I'm not uh, going to defend my for a position. Little ex- don't don't, don't no, wait good, for it. Good. I wasn't, I wasn't going to let you. Uh, over there for a little extra $5 a month, we'd like to thank those people on air, which I would gladly do right now if we had any $5 supporters. Uh, it is not a sad thing, though, that we don't. Right. Like, let's not don't. try to convince people right, to go right. back to being $5 supporters. Yeah. Listen, listen. We love we love our longtime five dollars supporters because they supported us for a long time at five dollars, but also because they recently up to ten dollars. A lot of them. So, uh, at that ten dollar month and above mark, though, we do something that I think is special, great, just delightful. Sometimes really visually it, confusing. Sometimes visually confusing. Pat- Sometimes emotionally and socially confusing. Sometimes it makes oh, you feel yeah, very yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> Listen, Pat. Pat is truly an artist. Uh, I, I make you feel that. feelings. He, that's what I do. He makes you feel feelings. That's that's it. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, visual art, uh, and then uh, I get it printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note, personalized note to uh, to our ten dollar and above supporters. Um, we also like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to Chris Ferrato, Michael McGrath, uh, Patrick Yako, J- Jonathan Hape, Jason Westaver, and Adam Speckerman for your ten dollars and above supports. Um, very grateful to that. Again, patreoncom Criterion if you want in on that. Yes, you should. You should do it. Yes. Uh, but we we, we appreciate you no matter what level you're at. We appreciate the one dollar right. supporters. We're just not going to say Listen, we, I appreciate. The people who, who are just listening. Cause I do too. I mean, I still not convinced they exist, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the other thing. Criterion set up a, a bot farm to convince us that just so there we are would other do this. <laughs> We've been so deceived by can... all, and the ones who have been guests on the show have all been plants. Yeah. Yeah, so that they can mine us for, <laughs> for ideas. I don't know <laughs> for ideas for our brilliant forward. insights. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of brilliant insight, we're talking about a Godard film this week. Oh uh, boy! So <laughs> buckle up. So uh, so buckle up for are us. Are you ready, Adam, film. to be wrong? Because <laughs> I've read our our iTunes reviews. We are apparently well. We're dumb. We knew that already. But specifically, right. our distaste for Goddard is among the things that makes us the dumbest people on earth. This is the thing. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I don't like Goddard. I don't like. I don't like the. Uh, 
I mean, we like what we like tout Robbie in. Like that was, yeah, we enjoyed that. I Listen, I like that a lot. I, like, I made a postcard about it. I like Goddard when he's uh, working with other people to be overtly political. I right, right, and <laughs> and well, this one, this one, I thought was the, early on. I thought that's there, where this was headed. I was like, oh, right, we're getting one of these ones. And then yeah. no, we didn't get one of these ones. We didn't get one of these ones. It was, it would have been a surprisingly early one of those ones. To be fair, we got, we got uh, the the but, inklings of one of these ones because right. I mean this there is, are political references. Right, right. I mean this the story is, is fundamentally based on a political reference anyway. This is a movie where um, Goddard is sort of on the cusp of doing something different with movies moving forward. So within within his timeline, and we, we talked a few weeks ago about Jean-Luc Goddard's filmography on Wikipedia being one of the weirdest, weirdest <laughs> formatted things. Yes, it is. Uh, when, when we get to 68, he starts working with the uh, uh, Ziga Vertov group, and that's when we get to the political films. Uh, the only one we've seen is Tavabian um, and Letter to Jane, that, that sort of companion piece to Tavabian that we didn't like as much because it seemed like it was a lot of throwing Jane Fonda under the bus. Right. Uh, but, uh, but this is 65, and... This is the movie he made directly after Alphaville, um, which means we get Band Apart before this, Contempt before this, uh, A Woman is a Woman. Um, have we watched Breathless yet? I can't remember if we watched Breathless uh, maybe, yet. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, we've definitely talked about it, but <laughs> yeah. we may have co- talked about it in context. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. Breathless was the last one we watched. That's the one starring Gene Seedberg as the, the aspiring journalist who... Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. <sighs> With our same fella. It, it's uh, the one where, the, Mondo, where this unnecessary misogynistic weirdo who just <laughs> yeah, drives around yeah. harassing women, right? Is that the one I'm thinking <laughs> right, of? Right. Am I thinking yeah, of the right one? The, he just shows up in that lady's apartment and just treats her like shit right. for 10 minutes? <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So the, his next film would be Masculine Feminine. Um Two or three things I made about you is a little a little after this weekend is sixty seven and then he sort of gets into the more political stuff right after that so this is this is the cusp of uh Goddard sort of throwing off his obsession with noir films. I think Goddard even talks about this as the movie he stopped asking himself whenever he couldn't think of what to do with the scene. Prior to this, he would say to himself, well, what would what would Alfred Hitchcock do here? Right. And then he'd try to do that. Um, Which is frankly, honestly, not a question you should ever ask yourself. Because <laughs> the <laughs> answer is not. be mean to women, right? I mean, that's... <laughs> yes, yes. And that, that that is maybe the answer that Goddard was falling on, too. Uh, instead, here, Goddard decided to rely on himself and what not not ask what would what would Hitchcock do here but what should and, I and be And it shows. Here? I mean it it really does. I mean we we are going to be mean because it's Goddard but like there there's a lot yes. of different things in here that we've never seen before. They're not yeah. all good choices. 
But they're different. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. That's certainly true. They are. They are. I think this is one of the more interesting Goddard films. Yeah, we've I I would agree. I think that is true. I mean, it's it's again we get into something like uh, um, Babian where it's interesting because of the political statements it makes and 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 a lot of that stuff. But it's like you know, from a purely like sort of storytelling perspective, is not that it's fairly straightforward. Really, uh, this is also straightforward, but does a lot of weird work with time and 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 i i would argue also seems to step away and this could just be in my head because again we don't unfortunately the downside of not watching like all of a director's films essentially back to back is that yeah. like my memory of things can be very 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 hazy but, right and we're bouncing around a little bit with right. him so exactly we don't even yeah. watch them in numer- in uh, chronological order or anything like that but I would argue these we're we're starting to get away from like n- purely new wave aesthetics and stuff as well. Like yeah, what I mean is like it's not we we talked to, because of um, Varda we we talked a lot about the French new wave recently, um, and and that that has always had a sort of feel to me. Mm-hmm. That is. Like you can just sort of feel it. Um, we we learned through watching her films that that is that that is essentially a, a weird car in my mind, kind of a weird carbon copy of what she does. Uh, yeah, as it turns out. Um, but nonetheless, it has a feel to it, and this doesn't feel like that per se. This is more. This feels like a movie from a different. This feels more like a. I get. I mean, I guess this feels more to me like a, a weird '60s movie. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it feels like. I mean, it's like it's like Help, but without Help. Right. It would not be wrong to call this a postmodern film. Right. In that it is sort of a deconstruction of what we would expect, even from Goddard's previous films. Right. But from cinema in general, and and sort of a deconstruction of cinema is kind of one of the things some of the Cahiers to Cinema guys were going for, um, at least a rejection of prior definitions of right, what cinema right. should be. But as we've talked about um, with them, a lot of times what they did was reject certain elements of cinema and then right, like cling right. very hard to others, right? Like absolutely, this one. Issues a lot of de- like a lot of things, including right. the idea that time is linear, <laughs> right? Which is right. not a thing I mind in movies. I don't mind. It is. Yeah. It was deeply confusing for a few minutes, but you you catch up, you figure out what's up. <laughs> um, so that you know, I mean, but that's a, that we have not, as far as I know, seen that in a French New Wave film so far. Yeah. That well, Legetti. To be fair, right, okay, but. but that's an that is a friendship <laughs> that is also a science fiction film. That is a right, purposely right. science fiction film. They don't count because eschewing the concept of time <laughs> is a hallmark of hey, I want to tell a cool science fiction story of a time travel movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's it's like out. hey, guys, check this shit out. Like this is yeah. this is trying to tell a story that exists in our world, right? Without linear time, not yeah. a story that is about time travel. Right. 
So yeah. Um, it also is a story that has at times very cartoony violence elements, and in yeah. that regard, is very reminiscent of, uh, uh, say, uh, Hudson Hawk. Yeah. No, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to, to essentially reference the Beatles movie Help. Right, right, because right. this felt like the Beatles movie Help, but without the char- the charisma of the Beatles, which is yeah saying something. <laughs> when did Help come out? I'm about to find oh, that the same out. Same year, same year. Yeah, sixty five. I think it was. A, I think it was yeah. a zeitgeist thing. I mean, this was where. Yeah. This is where a lot of like essentially drug taking movie makers <laughs> yeah, were headed. Yeah. <laughs> was this postmodern deconstruction of of the way film is supposed to work, it makes sense. Right, right. Uh, it's not like either of them invented the idea of dropping LSD and then making a movie. Um, yeah, it's like you know, but but nonetheless, it is a thing. And this just that's a movie that I have watched many many times, and I watched as a young boy, and it is a part of my right. when I think of movies like this, that's what I start imagining. It even has the cartoony violence. It has. Right. What borders on Bugs Bunny esque violence. Yeah. And and all that's not to say that this movie is Goddard letting go of all of his cinematic influence, right? No. He's still no. I mean, we get a cameo from Sam Fuller in here, right? He's right. still he's still beholden to his noir obsession in the past. The the kids aren't in bed yet because they decided it was an education to let them go see Johnny Guitar. Um, right, right. Like, like Goddard, Goddard's movie obsession is Goddard will be Goddard. Let's be clear yeah. here. Like, and it's and you know that line is meant to be a joke too, right? right. So it's and not, there's a lot of there's right. actually a lot of yeah. those kind of jokes in this movie. Yeah, and and, and I mean, but but I if you had if you made me choose, I would rather drop some LSD and then made tried to make a noir <laughs> Goddard over. Yeah. Just I really, really want to make a Hitchcock film, Goddard. Like, yeah, right. Just, this is more right. fun. This is just f- plain more fun to watch. Right. This is much, much more fun than we had watching Breathless. Right. Even than we had watching a Band Apart, which yeah. at least had. I mean, it had things I moments. liked in it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's not it's not the best <laughs> version of that thing, yeah. but it is still right. a movie I had, that had parts I enjoyed. Right. Right. Uh. <laughs> Another thing about this movie is that there is what it what it owes to broader French art history is maybe something interesting too. Um, first off, Perrault, Perrault is one of the clowns of pantomime, right? Of uh, the one who is constantly pining for the female Columbine who he eventually loses out to Harley Quinn for her love. Um, and that is, you know, the, the whole thing about that sort of narrative is that they are all beholden to uh, the structures, right? right? It's the same, the same story over and over again is the point of, of that stuff. Um, so again, we get, to a certain extent, the it is inevitable that uh, she keeps calling her Perot because right. she knows the end of things. Uh, but then her name is Marion Renoir, 
And Marianne is the personification of France, like that famous picture of the woman uh, waving the French flag marching in front of the French revolutionary soldiers. Uh, that is Marianne. She is a personification of France. Okay. Um, and then the last name Renoir, you know, we get frequent reference visually to the works of uh, yes, we do, yeah. of Renoir. And, and you know, of course, we have Jean Renoir as the, the French cinema aspect of that, too. Uh, and then the Criterion DVD cover sort of hammers that home in, in putting the word foie, uh, foe, F-O-U, in the colors of the French national flag. Blue, white, red. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's that aspect of it. There's there's a lot going on here. I think psychologically for Goddard, uh, he wanted this is an adaptation loosely of an American novel called Obsession um, by a guy named White. I can't remember White's first name right now. Lino, Lino White. Um, Obsession is kind of a uh, somehow darker Lolita thing in which a man falls for his teenage babysitter, runs away with her, and she has underworld connections. Um, And he thinks he's falling in love with her, and she's using him for criminal ends, and then she ends up running away with her longtime lover, who is the character she has referred to as her brother in conversation with the main character the entire course of the narrative. Uh, This borrows loosely from that, obviously. Uh, Goddard wanted to make a slightly more faithful adaptation. He originally wanted a 19-year-old as his main character, um, and a uh, much older man as as the male lead um, to put... I think it was Richard Burton he was originally wanting and to make the film in English um, when he was making a more strict interpretation of Obsession. Uh, all of that fell through. He ended up casting... Uh, I think first he ended up casting Jean-Paul Belmondo. Um, I think also because he just didn't have the money and he had just made Belmondo famous with Breathless. So (laughs) maybe Belmondo kind of owed him. Um, Then he cast Anna Karina as the female lead who was his wife at the time and was in her mid-20s. And Belmondo was, I think, about 30 when this film started shooting. So that made the age difference not wide enough to make it an obsession, and that's when things started changing. And then sometime between, it seems like between casting and shooting starting, uh, Karina and Goddard got divorced. Okay. Uh, (laughs) That checks out. Yeah, which I think as far as this a reflection of Goddard's views of his own art um, that makes it interesting where he's made a movie starring his now ex-wife and uh, the author XP is a struggling writer uh, whose relationship with this woman at first seems to be a new invigoration to his art 
Right. And then she betrays him not only in relationship fidelity, but also destroys any hope of his reinvigorated artistic career. Uh, so he kills her and commits suicide. Right. Uh, well, I mean, yes. Maybe Goddard's not in the best spot during Frame this movie. But, like, you yeah. know, it's interesting, right? Because uh, that turn, though, right? Like The fascinating thing I find about that turn in this movie is that she finds him just utterly and completely boring, right? <laughs> right, right, like, right. He, so at least at least he's still self-aware while he makes it, too. Right, right exactly. It's like, oh, she doesn't want to... Like, this, this little thing goes both ways, right? Because, like, right. she's... I made her go to this weird island, and she's bored out of her fucking mind here, and I don't <laughs> right, seem to give a right. shit. Right, 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 yeah. And I don't think this is the last time he and Karina worked together. Like, they remained, I don't know about friends, but they certainly remained. Well, I mean, he had nothing uh, else. He does seem to recognize that she's she's very good. Yes, uh, yes, At yes. what she does. And, and, I mean, something like this sort of made me recognize again, like, you know, cause again, we don't encounter, we don't watch enough Goddard films regularly enough that like I can keep them all in my head at the same time. But yeah, um, she's a good actress. And so, uh, and really I think shri- shines in a role where she can be this sort of capricious and kind of mysterious, uh, but also kind of goofy at the same time. Uh, is a, it's a really fast. I think that's a. I find her role in this movie quite fascinating. Um, and I, you know, I, I also, I, I, you know, I generally thought their character dynamic was interesting because it is. It was so weird and unexpected. Just in oh, general, yeah. like I mean, there's a fundamental character dynamic which is kind of boring, which is just like they're in love and then they sort of fall apart because they don't. They're not actually compatible at all. That's boring, but then you add in weird gun runner murder mystery thing, and <laughs> right, right, that does breathe a, breathe a lot of weird, and and then also just not telling that story in any way that's comprehensible to the audience for most of it uh, is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, um, and like you know, a little more context on that would be inherent to a French audience at the time. Like right. they do explicitly say she's working with the OAS, which is a real life right right wing yeah, yeah, I mean, paramilitary I, organization. Uh and we've watched enough French films that I am aware enough about French history <laughs> that I'm like, okay, right, well right. I know what I know what's going on in <laughs> right, general right, terms right. right now. Um but and and you know, you can see the sort of inklings of Goddard getting ready to start making really truly sort of political films in the sense that Right. And right. then, you know what is it, like Le Pete Soldat and stuff is supposed to be about that as well. It, it you know it's just that this one this one's weird because it's hard to understand what from lo- watching this what Goddard's thoughts on any of it is. Right. Because it's on anything that's st- happening here is. Yeah, maybe. like because, like, I I get the impression that, like, I can see a world where somebody argues that this is somehow, like, an allegory for French involvement in Algeria and Vietnam and places like that. Yeah. But, like, boy, you would need to prove it to me. <laughs> right. Like, right. I would need very specific reference. I'd be like, okay, this scene references X, this re- scene references Y, because it is yeah. a fairly hard film to follow. 
as my and children pointed out to me when they came home <laughs> at like with 30 minutes left and they're like what's going on dad and i'm like i oh boy <laughs> i can't tell i you. cannot help you right now i have no, i'll let you know when i know <laughs> yeah no you you bring up the vietnam war and there are plenty of references to the vietnam war here but all almost all of them seem to be implicating america which is wild if, right yeah <laughs> Right. Okay. Like 100%. America deserves all the indictment for the Vietnam War that you can throw at it. Okay. 100%. But like, it's weird when it comes from French film, right? Right. When like French films are like, oh, those Americans, they love fucking killing Vietnam people, don't they? And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa there, bud. Let's (laughs) slow down here. Right. Right. Pot, kettle, black, that whole thing, I guess. The play they put on for the American soldiers, and and there is plenty wrong for us to talk about with that play, but at its heart, it seems to be this implication that both sides are mindless idiots. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, And and that seems counterintuitive to anything else. Goddard, right, and and I, I did is he, find even that within funny. this movie, anything else Goddard because is saying about the Vietnam? It War. is, it is trying to. Well, we get into a thing, right? We uh, yeah. like we are going to have to talk about that scene because it is a deeply oh, upsetting yeah. scene, right? Um, right. It tries to do a thing where it tries to parody both sides of a right. conflict, but the problem is, is that it it falls into the classic problem where. It assumes that two things, parroting two things, is is of equal value, right? Like, right. The American like loves his gun and his whiskey, and is like just saying yeah a lot, and, and is very aggressive. Hollywood communism, right? Ugh. And right. those are fine ways to comment on Americans, but right. the the Vietnamese side gets hyper reductionist. And decides that the main way you make fun of Vietnamese people is to do yellow face. Right. And then and talk in what appears to be an assumed, you know, like a joking Chinese, like the sort of right. thing that people, right. not even, it doesn't, doesn't even sound like Vietnamese. It sounds like what idiots do when they talk about Chinese people. Right. Now, of course, a French audience would have more relationship to the Americans, so it makes sense that Goddard would choose to have the Americans say random English words and the uh, Vietnamese character here just say random gibberish Asian instead of instead of instead of a like like some sort of stereotypical like like even if the character just repeated the word uh, Ho Chi Minh over and right. over again, it would actually it be would... better, right? It, it's yeah. not good, but it would be better. But the problem right. we get into right is that like the American doesn't assume any any racial characteristics or anything like that. Right, right, right. Whereas the Vietnamese character is in yellow face. Right. Um, and bright yellow face at right. that. You know, and, it's and, it's a comedic cartoonish yellow face. Right. It is um not that any you know, any yellow face is at its Right, heart. but it's not some attempt for like right. realism or something like that. It's you know, it's not yeah. those misguided uh Right. It's to not a, the misguided like I where, wanted to look like the character things. It's a I'm going like, to make a could, racist caricature. Someone defending this could say that that character Karina's character's characterization of that <laughs> character she's playing in the play uh 
there's a sentence I don't want to parse. Yeah, I mean, okay, well, uh, welcome to the metaverse. Yeah. Anyway, you could argue that it is by its nature a uh, mockery of yellow, the use of yellow face. As a right, thing. but like, I mean, but, yeah, I get where that would But making fun from. of racism by exhibiting racism is, is still good. racism. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, that's, I mean, like, I did blackface to show people how bad blackface is, is a bad way to go. <laughs> right. As right. a lot, as a lot of modern comedi- comedians have had to come to reckon with, like, right. this year. The fact that, <laughs> yes. like, you're still doing racism if you are mocking racism with racism. Like, you can't, right. you just can't do it. Um right. And, 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 you know, it, it has a lot of, and the, my problem with it is that Goddard seems to be wanting to get into a world of commentary where he talks about these political issues and says, like, this war is dumb and, 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 and you know, and that, like, you know, we should not be right. there and things like that. And we should let them, you know, let, you know, Vietnam or Algeria or whatever be uh, under self-rule. It seems to be what he wants to say, but he's still doing well, this in the film also. I don't I don't know if that's necessarily what he wants to say yet. And maybe right. that's the thing. And we do get a little bit of this in uh in Breathless as well. There's a little bit of the poking fun in America. You know, America was in Vietnam long enough that we can have tons and tons of Goddard films. I think maybe the problem here is that Goddard was uh loved enough or financially stable enough that he could just make a movie when he should still be processing emotions instead of portraying emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I and I think that. I think this is this is the first floundering of someone who has decided that he needs to say something political in his movie but hasn't actually determined what, what that is what the political thing is. Yeah, I is can see yet. that. That I think that's a good yeah. that's a reasonable argument and that's how you end right. up with that. Right. Right. Um, right. And eventually he gets hooked up with people who can guide that impulse better and right. he makes something like Tel Bien. Uh yeah, I think that Where? I think that makes a lot of sense. That that does make a lot yeah. of sense to me because yeah, we it's clear that he does want to make political commentary because he has things like excuse me, the radio in the car. Yes. And yes. I died in that scene because she uh Anna Karina's character does a thing that like I really really hate, which is she runs through the reasons why we should understand these people as people, which is not a bad, Im- not a bad impulse at all, but it goes through a list of things that like, well, maybe this person, like, first of all, there's always this weird thing where like, in order to associate a person as a person, we have to sort of like be able to ask questions like, well, maybe they were a father. Maybe they were, you know, right. And right. there's a problem with that because that the person was just a person without any of those questions. The person could have been right. the worst person in the history of mankind. And, Nonetheless, still a person, still a person, um, and we don't need to know the answers to those questions to be able to say that was a person, right? Uh, and that person should have been allowed to live. Um, but beyond that, she always does a thing that always happens uh, that happens a lot in movies like this uh, and stories like this when people start asking those questions because they run out of questions that are truly meaningful. Which, nonetheless, something like you know where they have like starting to build their connection with the world is is an is it is a pursuit of of empathy right but then they get into like does yeah. he prefer plays or movies and like and things like that it's like and then you're starting to get into the frivolous which always bothers me because the reality of the matter is is that like that's not what you need to know about that person you just I, ran out of questions I, to ask 
anyway. I do want to I I do want to push back a little bit there because yes, those are frivolous questions to whether or not this is a person, but humanity exists in the frivolous, right? Uh my my personality isn't whether or not I have a wife or children. No, I know that. But it might be found in whether or not I prefer plays or movies. Can I and, push back on that? And in humanizing someone, let me finish for a second. Okay. If in humanizing someone, I think uh, even even starting there, not starting with this baseline relationship among different people. If she had started with, this is a person who likes music. This is a person who who reads uh, <laughs> reads Balzac or whatever. Uh, that is that is a that is a better baseline of convincing someone that this person is human than well he's got a kid no right? i I agree because those things are not personalities like um right like right. having a kid having being, but that i mean the goal of those questions is always to build that person a network of people around them who will miss that right. person when they're gone right, right that's what right. that's what those questions have a purpose of doing of the course. reason I get into that is because you're asking this about a person who is fighting as a gorilla for his country's freedom. There are other questions about his personality that are actually probably more meaningful to who yeah. he is right now. You know what I mean? Like whether or not he likes plays or movies becomes to a certain extent subsumed in the fact that he or she wants political freedom. And the, you know what I mean? Like you know what I mean? Like it's there there are places those questions can go. I I I don't know. It always goes that way. I feel like it's a it is for me, it always feels like a derivative of when people start saying something like, I don't care if they're black, white, and then a color that doesn't exist. Right, 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 right. right. It's not not because, like, the, the sentiment might be in the right place. But it's asking whether or not— colorblindness about society. And, right. and even on my example, that's, that's true, right? You like, know, she's it's, fixated it's this... on that because that's what she knows. That's what's in her right. life because right. those are the things she gets to think about. Whoever this mythical person is, whoever this person out of 115 who died is, would probably someday love to think about whether they prefer movies or plays. And maybe right. sometimes right. does get a chance to think about that, but probably not as often as she does. Right. The humanizing element of an unknown uh, rebel killed is that this is a person who is fighting for self-determination. Right. I think you theoretically already right. possess, right? Like, right, right, right. You know, and we could have gone that route too. And and again, you know, like I already said, I think that uh, the sort of both sidesism of of the play and right. the yeah. uh, that sort of defining of humanity in her arguments of of respecting um, that those are those are baby steps in a direction that we'll right. see Goddard more fully embraced later on. Right, life. absolutely, I, and I agree. Yeah. And like those kind of questions, I just feel end up being sort of the questions that you get to in step one of that process, right? Right. For a lot right. of people, right? Like you start right. conceiving of this as a real person, and then you need to start taking steps like, well, what does this real person actually want? Not what do right. I think that I what did I apply to them as wanting, but like what do they actually right. want and need? Right. Um, takes and time. the truth of the matter is, what you would want in their situation is what they want. And that's right. the ability to self-determine. Right. So. You just, but, but because 
it's a it is a step it's a process and you're you know that you have to go through to start realizing that like the questions you're asking come from a place that where you already have that thing that they're still trying to get right um yeah exactly or or or, or is at least analogous to whatever they're trying to get right because that's not always exactly true because um you know Right, people's starting position also determines the places they're headed, right? As well, yeah. Um. There's the essay that accompanies this is written by Richard Brody, and and sort of revolves around an idea of Goddard wanting to make a new type of art, and we get char- characters within the movie talking about that too. Um, you know when. When Ferdinand starts journaling, one of the things he writes is is not to write about people's lives anymore, but only about life, life itself, what lies in between people, space, sound, and color. I like to accomplish that. Joyce gave it a try, but it should be possible to do better. Um, And then on the same turn, Marianne, I think later, says, I don't care about books, records, anything. I just want to live a bit. This is um, a rejection, even within the movie, of those periphery uh, definitions of self that she even talked about earlier with with the 115, right? This rejection of the your relationship to people or things as the defining characteristic that Sam Fuller's right when he talks about cinema, that it's emotion is what makes us human um and and what all of our main characters want to uh or at least say they want to experience and pass on to other people right right uh and in in that regard i think i don't know how goddard felt about brackage's films but <laughs> but the but the rejection of people space uh or 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 what lies between space, sound, and color, and the rejection of physicality, um, and uh, yeah, is certainly something Brackage went through, which is splashes of color that still portray emotion and make someone feel something without telling them to feel it, right? Right. Uh, so I'm kind of maybe surprised that we haven't seen Goddard take that turn in his art at any point well, in time I mean, that I can remember. Yeah, I mean, I think when you get down to it, though, like, for a person yeah. like Goddard, abandoning the fundamental concept of narrative is probably Right. And that's the thing impossible. that Goddard does, and he does it here, and he's, does it, he's done it in other work we've seen, and maybe this is a defining characteristic of Goddard's relationship to art, is that he really can't escape... Uh, using references to other people's work right. as as how he rejects just telling someone how to feel. Kind right? of just Quentin. He's very similar to Quentin Tarantino, yeah. right? Like he maybe a, maybe a more intellectual Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I would. I would yeah, I would agree. Not with that, not but... to say that Quentin Tarantino's obsessions are. I mean, it's it's maybe kind of classist to to call this. <laughs> intellectual and what Tarantino does not intellectual, but um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I get, but I, yeah, I know, yeah. I do know what you're saying. I mean, maybe it's because yeah. we're both just classist, but like, I mean, Tarantino likes a certain kind of film, and right. Goddard clearly likes a very different. I mean, they, those are two right, different right. kinds of films that they they like. Well, and want I, to reference. 
I say that thinking that another thing Goddard did that comes to mind is Goodbye to Language, where 90% of the dialogue were literary references or people just saying right. uh, an Einstein quote or something. Um, so, you know, the, the allusions to Balzac here are, are also there, and it's, it's something, something that more broadly is considered more high-minded than— right. The, I mean, does it make uh, Goddard's than the work Hong Kong seem... action films that <laughs> that uh, right now? What I will argue Tarantino's is Tarantino's obsessed with. Right? Tarantino is also obsessed with. Now, I'm not a big Tarantino fan for a lot of reasons, but right, right, right. Um, I think his obsession with the art of how those things are made is worthwhile and noteworthy. Right? Like he, oh yeah, isn't just obsessed with those Hong Kong action films. He's obsessed with how they're done, which is probably definitely veers into high art right like i mean right. we're talking about really complicated construction of cinematic work right the stories right, are right. oftentimes very well what they are right but like the obsession with the sort of craft of making that is i think a thing that's worthwhile uh keeping in mind um that tarantino definitely does have um yeah. I will say that um what what does happen for me at least is goddard comes off as always hyper pretentious <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. It, it just it's it's inescapable the moment somebody's making a balzac reference in a film like a lot of them all the I fucking time mid mid friend mid-century france is a is a different animal to make a balzac reference than i know <laughs> but like okay yes i understand america that. is watching it all right but but like i have to take it in the context that i am in right I mean, I, I can't escape my context, and Goddard sounds That's like fair. a prick That's fair. most of the time. That's fair. Like, and also, I mean, Balzac's been dead for a while <laughs> by the time this movie's made. It's not yeah. like, uh, you know, he was just kicking around, and we were referencing a guy who, like, Goddard knew and hung out with. I was like, well, you should check out this uh, really interesting novelist that I care about a lot. <laughs> right. Like, we're still talking about a thing that, other kids in France also read in school, and they probably don't walk around taking, making Balzac references all the fucking time. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean, though, right? Like, we all read the same books in high school. Yeah. And then some of the people walk around referencing those things all the time, and some of them don't, right? And there, there is a yeah. certain amount of pretension that comes with that, right? Right. Uh, the Balzac stuff goes beyond... The movie itself, the there's there's meta text about Balzac okay. too that uh, excellent that uh, of course there is that Richard Brody's essay brings up. He says uh, after the release of the film, Goddard gave a public a skeleton key to understanding it. Uh, and Goddard's quote: "The only scene that I had, I'm sorry, the only scenario that I had, the only subject was to convey the sense of what Balthazar Claus was doing." in the unknown masterpiece. Brody then goes on to explain that the unknown masterpiece is a novella about a painter uh, who's been working alone for decades on his masterpiece, and he shows it to some artists finally, and they tell him that it's a disaster and an incomprehensible mess, and then the artist kills himself. Uh, But Balthasar Clays is not the main character of the unknown masterpiece. He is the main character of a different Balzac work, the quest of the absolute. Uh, 
in the quest of the absolute in alchemist is single in the single-minded pursuit of the secret nature uh, or of the secret of nature brings about his wife's premature death his financial ruin and his public humiliation um which are certainly similar themes and it's easy it would be easy to say that goddard is just confusing the two narratives because they they fit so well together and i think and brody even suggests that this is a a uh a problem of goddard's memory to to run them two to, eh, together and i don't think goddard's like selling a riddle by saying this i really think he did did forget it right but um but yeah he 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 makes this public public announcement well i'm sure it was just something he wrote in in Cahers or whatever um but he uh he talks about Balzac as a way of understanding the movie uh both of which are references to someone whose life works brings about ruin uh either either in his personal life or because no one understands his life work right okay uh I, I feel you on that. I get where, where he's going with this. I What I would say about that is that, number one, there is also a certain amount of pretension that comes with feeling like you need to explain your work to people um, in whatever <laughs> form that it, you do that. Explaining it with a couple of Balzac references. Right, is exactly. Also is also, there. yeah, a thing, right? Like, yeah. I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, there's that, right? Like, okay, well, people clearly don't get it. Like, let's be clear here. This movie's not hard to get. Like, and I think that him believing that people don't get it is part of the problem, right? Because, like, the movie's not hard to understand. Like, I mean, like, it can be because of, like, stylistic choices he made that make it, you know, for example, the timeline confusing. It is, it is a, an out there movie, narratively speaking. So, but, like, but what I would say is that the storyline is if you start stripping out the, the weird shit. It's not super hard to understand. Right. You, you start bundling or boiling it down to its very fundamental narrative parts. It's not a super complicated story. I mean, that's true of any complicated narrative, though. But Well, no, I but what I'm saying, when I say about stripping out the, uh, the, confuse, the weird parts, I'm talking right. about the stylistic choices that the make stuff it confusing. He threw in, the stuff he threw in just to make it more confusing. The right, weird like, colors of the of the party, the fact that the women start appearing topless at the right, party. All that stuff is irrelevant the to the narrative. Right. right the narrative right. is extremely straightforward. And I realized that when my children asked me what was going on, and I struggled for a minute, and then I realized that I could explain the story right. in like four sentences. Right. Like right. there's an elevator pitch for this movie that is not an accurate description of this movie, not but definitely at all. gets the plot. <laughs> right. Plot and, that, and that's my problem is because what Goddard's referencing when he talks about Balzac there is the narrative. Right. Which is not hard. Right. He's not talking about all the other junk that probably was stuff that people looked at and said, what the fuck? Yeah. And people did not like this movie when it came out. It didn't connect with audiences. A couple critics really loved it. Uh, so one person at least declared it his favorite movie. Uh, or the most brilliant movie he'd seen that year. Um, interesting enough, Chantel Ackerman um, 
a director in her own right and will eventually see uh, her film uh, Jean Delman 23 Quad de Commerce 1080 Brussels um, well, what a name it's, yeah it's a very long name uh, but uh, she was 15 when this movie came out and she saw it when it came out and it inspired her to become a director uh, I get that I get that yeah, there's no there's no context whether that it, or not that was out of spite but <laughs> like, fuck uh, you <laughs> but like again I, I would like this. to point out that I watched Help yeah. as a 15 year old boy right. I watched right. it long before then but I did also watch it as a 15 year old boy and it watching weird trippy shit at a certain age is really right. invigorating it's really interesting right. and there are parts of this movie that are really trippy and um, get you thinking I could do this yes right because like I got weird trippy ideas I'm 15 years old um right like that's basically all I am right now is a bunch of things that don't make <laughs> sense all jumbled together um right, right. but like my my and I but the, my problem is is that he's somewhat inconsistent in his application of that crazy trippy nonsense, because right. the beginning is crazy is batshit crazy, and then a lot of the batshit crazy kind of gets sidelined, because to serve well, the narrative gets, in the middle, it does get sidelined while we are creating an environment where. Uh, Marianne is bored enough to leave. Absolutely, so and there I is under, that. Right, but that is so. that's in pursuit of the narrative. Like that's that's a right, like right, like I would like to, you know, like I'm going to keep referencing. Probably not even. It's not even really a great movie, but it's it is my go to for trippy nonsense. Is it, like you can do if you. He needs her to get bored, so that stuff yeah. has to go away. But that stuff is for the audience, not for her. So they get that that gets very meta and weird, right? Because like that's yeah. she's not jumping through time. We yeah. are. Yeah, um, but no, I know. Here's, I know. here's where I'll say you that you need to it, feel what talking, she feels. Right, we need to feel what she feels without our, her just telling us that's how she feels or or anything. But she like is going that. to and also that's part tell of Goddard's us. point here. Right, uh, she will. She is also just going to tell yes. us. Um, <laughs> but that trippy nonsense never actually fully comes back. Right. When it's gone in this movie, it's gone. Well, until the last two seconds when he blows himself up with cartoon dynamite. But that's dynamite. not trippy but... nonsense. <laughs> that's cartoon nonsense. Cartoons that's can fair. be trippy, but they're not all. I mean, you know, an el- <laughs> you know, elephants are great, but not elephant great things yeah. are elephants. Like, yeah, blowing yourself up with a big cartoony stick of dynamite is weird, yeah. but it's not trippy nonsense it's not suddenly becoming unstuck through time and making your audience do all the mental work of figuring out where the fuck is going on <laughs> it's not people suddenly appearing naked for no reason yeah it's it's i want to be not having a casual last... conversation when a dead man with a pair of scissors in his right exactly is... it's right. not just guns everywhere for no reason like yeah and I, well, they're not there for no reason but they, they are comically there for no reason like they're they're just right. a million of them just hanging around Right, um, right. I'm surprised none of them were like holding up lamps or some shit. Like, I mean, it was we were on the border of them just being like doing household work at that point. Um, but like, it never really come. It never for me ever really comes back because you've already wound it down so far that like you can't just get it back in one go, right? You can't. But well, now he's gonna blow himself up with cartoon dynamite. Did I like? Did I like the last line? I thought it was awesome. I thought this what was is the silly. actual last line? This is silly, and he tries to pat out the fire. And he oh yes, up. yes, 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 yes. I enjoyed that deeply. 
I thought that was the greatest commentary on the movie that Goddard made about his movie, which is, <laughs> right. well, that was silly. Yeah. And maybe maybe that is ultimately Goddard coming to terms with the divorce and everything that's going on yeah, here. Quite possible. That it is that it is actually very silly of him to blame Karina for anything that's going on. Right. right? And also you know, she to left be him as and sad she was his muse. Right? But yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, and that is a thing where you know a a not uh a not inconsiderable amount of film is the director working through his stuff right and and maybe this is Goddard working through his stuff, and sometimes for some people that stuff needs to be worked through in public and at least for <laughs> at least for directors. Goddard in this for yeah, specifically least, directors in general. Right. At least for Goddard in this instance, it isn't messy in the way he's working through it in public. Uh, it, it, was it Truffaut messy. that think, had his wife being? Is it Truffaut that like right? Wasn't there a movie we watched where like we had this conversation? Like it was the one where like you, they die in the car accident. Oh, oh! I thought for a minute maybe you were thinking of uh, Julietta of the Spirits, where, <laughs> where. Uh, uh, Fellini has his wife play him for a movie. Uh, oh, right. I forgot about that. But, yeah. But, but like, uh, yeah, there are definitely, this is definitely one of the least messy, I've had a traumatic right. life moment, I need to share it with the world director moves, was this one right, compared to right, some of the other right. ones we've seen. Because we, right, I don't so remember right. what the movie was with the car accident, but we oh, definitely talked of. about the fact that that was about his divorce. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't, can't remember think of which what one that is. What you're you're thinking of? There was, and... I mean, there was a turn in the road, and the blonde woman and the woman and the man she's seeing get like beheaded in the car crash or whatever. Oh, oh wait, that's that's contempt. That is a Goddard film. Is that Goddard? Oh my God! Yes. yes that's so the who's end of that about? <laughs> well, he did make it just after this, I think. Well, not okay. just just after this. Um, we have when, seen too when many movies, th- Adam. When did Contempt come out? Contempt maybe is... maybe I'm wrong on the timeline too. Oh no, Contempt's 1963. Oh yeah, Contempt's two years before this. Um, maybe I mean maybe. All right, now I'm curious because we I feel like we talked about that with reference to divorce, I, but I like, don't remember that aspect of the I, conversation. I but maybe we did. Certainly, certainly, Contempt is about someone going through right, but this trials. would be pre Goddard going through that when. Let's get this information in front of us real quick. When did, uh, yeah, they married in 61 and divorced in 65, so that's not. Right, so I don't know. I Maybe, like, right. I don't know why I thought that, but I, I could have sworn yeah. we talked about that when we watched that movie. Yeah. Maybe we just talked about it with regards to view of, his views of women in general. And, and <laughs> maybe, I, but maybe. I, I don't know, man. Coming a presage of your divorce is maybe something we, yeah, possibly. we talked about at the same time, <laughs> but but I don't know, or maybe yeah. it was. Oh well, else I mean, it's just like I said, we've watched a lot of movies. Yeah. It gets a little yeah. confusing sometimes. We do watch too many movies. I uh, mean, it just they do start to run together. It, it can be very hard to. You have a better memory for it than I do, but things can be hard to pick apart and like be like, okay, yeah. this is a thing that we watched five years ago. Uh, that is relevant uh, now. 
to what we're talking. You know, about. actually, something else that is maybe relevant to to Goddard processing div- his divorce during this movie. Okay, uh, is that the Ford Galaxy that they drive into the ocean is, his? is Goddard's personal car? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's that does seem relevant, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, just use my car. <laughs> uh, there's too many memories in this car. Um, but no, like, I actually, see, that's the thing, though, right? It's like one of the reasons why I hoped that the trippy nonsense would happen throughout the movie was because I legitimately enjoy weird shit like that. Yeah. I, I find it really delightful to watch. Like, there's the car crash scene where it's an overpass that is literally one block of overpass in the middle of a field. Right, and somehow I, this car has run into I it. I yeah. love it. it. Well, it looks like it careened off of it. Yeah. And and you, oh, yeah. you your mind starts going through <laughs> the entire sort of recursive processor process of trying to figure it all out. And it's beautiful. Right. I love going through that process. I can watch I can watch movies that make me do that forever. Yeah. And when I lost that in this movie, it felt like it took something away from me. So in that sense, I did lose <laughs> what I did feel what Anna Karina felt. Anna Karina's character <laughs> felt. Because like right. why did you take that from me? This was good. Right. I was enjoying this. this I was loved fun. what was going on. And, and now, now it's gone. It. Now we're hanging out on a beach playing Robinson Crusoe for some fucking reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and really, yes. One hundred percent he's even got the parrot on his shoulder when he's exactly. writing the Yeah. A, a point I would like to make. One that bothered me for quite a long time. That domesticated fox thing was still tied up when they left. Oh, no. Oh, no. It is probably dead by the end of the movie because it was tied up to a table out in the middle of the, like, the beach. I think eventually it would have chewed through the rope. I I certainly hope so. Uh. But I thought about it for a long time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you thought about it for a long time. It was time. luckily oh, I was I, able to get distracted by the movie for a little bit and then go, yeah, right, the fox. Yeah. Or whatever. I don't um, know what kind of creature that was. It was fox esque. If only the fox came back. It just walked by <laughs> just after walked... The, after it exploded at the that end. That would be amazing. It's like just like <laughs> with, wanders with the on parrot his riding body. it. Yes. Oh god. Uh, <laughs> Feel good movie of the summer right there. <laughs> uh, on their way home. Um and it's revealed that they were the any any time narration was us thinking that it was our two main characters' thoughts. It was really the fox. And the, I assume the they would both have guns for some reason too. I don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and really, that's not even like beyond the feel of this movie to have no, certainly like not that the first like the forty-five right. minutes. Now, now, I also think that one of the issues is what. Uh, what you consider weird out there stuff compared to what Goddard considers weird out there stuff because the uh, the guy who kidnaps Marianne uh, being a little person is definitely something Goddard thinks is hilarious. I couldn't... So, was that a child? I don't think it was a child. I think it was someone with dwarfism. Okay, I, I was unsure because it being a child is commentary in my mind, which is where I went with it. It being just a a person with dwarfism is not, it's just Goddard being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder... 
We'll never know because I don't know what any character's name right. is. I don't know the character's name, so I can't even really. Oh, oh no. No, uh, one of them's listed good as, as Dwarf. <laughs> good, good news. <laughs> we have an answer. For people, for people who love bad news. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, there you go. So Jimmy yeah. Karabi is born in... Well, he's not just a child, certainly. No, uh, I mean, that's where, I mean, but, like, I think probably because of film quality and stuff like that, I couldn't really yeah. tell. And, like, my thought was, oh, we're talking about, like, what we do to children and how we, like, teach them violence and how, like, eh, that's not what's happening here. Yeah. I was I was being very optimistic. I'm sorry. Thank you, Goddard, for being that. Goddard. Yeah. For always being Goddard, that's really that was that that was a very, big. I just went through a pretty major letdown right now. There is very little uh, biographical information on, on Wikipedia on pretty much anywhere. No, that's true, but there's a lot of pictures. Yeah, uh, in '64, he is credited as Jean Luc the Midget for tigers like fresh blood. So I'm going to say he was an adult with dwarfism and not a child, well, no, which is how yes. I read it. I mean, uh, uh, now well, that I'm looking at pictures on the internet, yeah. that is very clear. Right. I assume that was right. a fake mustache. It's not. Yeah. Um, I've learned <laughs> a lot of things just right now, But I will say. But in any case, uh, you know, they surround him with things that are too large, even even for like, an average sized person. Uh like that Coke bottle is right. huge even when we are even when the other the gangsters Joker pick guns. it up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh yeah. So I, I definitely think that, that Goddard includes that because he thinks it's silly or weird or whatever. Um which is yeah. Uh but then like the entire like noirish action stuff is definitely well not even all of it is not weird like the waterboarding is straightforward but waterboarding does look weird to people who don't know what waterboarding is i suppose so yeah i mean that's true because it doesn't necessarily make sense as a torture like right true (laughs) i mean like it's hard. I mean, I guess probably because of who who we are and where we are. Right. Like, and I fact, cannot the, see things like that as wacky. Right. Like, fact I just also, process them as, as what they are. Right. Right. They do it with her dress, too. Um, right. That's the mechanism of it, which is its own sort of symbolism of her choking him or whatever. Um, And then the actual, like, murder of those two gangsters... Uh, in the convertible where they trick them into driving into quicksand and then drop a net on them is yeah. definitely well again definitely I, a cartoon. But here's but. the thing, right? It crosses into cartoon rather <laughs> right. than it's, trippy, right? Like Right, right, right. Like I get the it, beginning but, is trippy. The but end something is like cartoony. That, something like that aside from the fact that they then shoot them both in the head, uh could be out of help. Right. True. Dropping true. A giant Absolutely. Net you on a you are right about that. As a means well, of help is the cartoony and trippy at the same yeah. time. Right. It, it, right. It, it is both. And I'm saying um, that this movie is also trying to do right. Both I clearly. I agree that that's. What, I I mean, 
it's just that I do feel like there's a sort of, and then, you know, we can go around and around about this, but like, I yeah. feel like there is a, 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 there's a, it feels different at the beginning of the film versus the end of the film. Because probably yeah. the cartoony verges into cartoon violence that replicates more like Bugs Bunny rather than right. the beginning, which feels more like it's more meandering. Um, mm-hmm. There's still violence, but the violence isn't the comedic part. It's the things that happen around them while they're doing it is right. the weird part in the beginning. Whereas in this second part, it is, I swear there could be a, an anvil falling on somebody at any moment. <laughs> right. Somebody right. could drive through a painting on the wall. Like, that's a different kind of zaniness. Uh, it's not. I wasn't. I was. I didn't not appreciate it. It was still nice to have it because otherwise the movie would be taking itself so fucking seriously. Right. Right. And the movie, you know, it even in its weirder dramatic portions wants to remind us that it's still a silly movie. Like when he's sitting at the bar, and Marion's been kidnapped or captured. I guess. Uh. And the guy who was sitting at the bar walks up to him and says, "Hey, you don't remember me, do you? We met yeah. at this party last year. You, uh, I, I lent you three thousand dollars. You yeah. slept with my wife. Anyway, good to see you. Bye. Yeah, how <laughs> you doing? Pretty good. Yeah. All right, see you later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are things like that that are, and again, I appreciated that so because it does keep the movie from feeling t- too self serious. Yeah, um, and so I did appreciate a lot of that stuff. Um, it's just, you know, I mean, yeah, different, different tone, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting and that stuff does help make the movie a different thing than we would have, than we've seen otherwise. Yeah. Um, which is nice. Yeah. Right. This is, this is a movie of God throwing a whole lot of stuff at the wall and some of it shouldn't have been thrown at all. Right. Uh, and some of it doesn't stick as well as others, but for the most part, it does. It does. Stick, I mean, it, I it's one. It's on the better end of the Goddard films that we've watched for yeah. me, personally. Right. Right. And I think this is among the more round characters we've seen Karina play in a Goddard. Right, film and that's what I was trying to get at that's earlier. Good. Is I yeah. do I enjoyed watching her in this film. Because yeah. her character is fundamentally interesting right. to watch. Yeah, she's mysterious and enigmatic when we first get introduced to her, um, but not not to a mean. And that makes us want to know more, and we do learn more. So it's not to the means of, say, like uh, other, <laughs> like like Seberg's character in Breathless, where everything is just set up as this like battle of the sexes thing, right? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, this one doesn't really contain a lot of that right. at all, really. Um, right, because there's no there's no like gender essentialism uh, in right. in either of our male or female character here. Uh, we have a guy who was a stay at home dad because he married rich and yeah. wants uh, to wants to write or something. Maybe yeah. Once I mean, he essentially I mean it's it, it like it is a very classic, yeah. really basic story in that environment. It does take a shift right. it, when it becomes. A, yeah, like weird, like to you know, a, you know, to a certain extent, she's a very weird manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, the, well, that well, the better no, the actually that's one of the things that makes the story interesting is the fact that that he is 
she is only that because that's what he imagines her to be. Right, 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 right. He, it's a classic like, oh, you're my muse. You will make me a good writer again. Oh, like, this was only good because we are both participating. You're not like, you're not like, you don't possess a magic quality that just gives me creativity. We both have to be like, you know, right. doing stuff. And you're bored right. now. I've trapped you in this nightmare world um, of, of a weird beach. Um, what I like about one of the things I like about her character is that the bo- both characters break the fourth wall. Um, uh, are, you know, and what makes her character interesting, one of the things, not the only thing, but like one of the things is Ferdinand breaks the fourth wall in a very, in very obvious way sometimes. And just like literally just talks to the camera. Right. Right. Uh, whereas, um, uh, Marianne does it mostly with looks, very telling looks, which I find much more exciting when that happens in a movie. Yeah. Like, it's fine when I, I mean, like, I like Deadpool. I like it when my character, my character just talks right. to me. That's fun, but it's more fun when they look at me and try to convey emotion directly at me. And that's right. that is really exciting. Whenever I see that in a movie, I'm like, yes, like I'm here. Thank you. I like that. Welcome to this movie. Um I also find it interesting when he uh in the scenes right before we get to them, we have like three biographical studies of the extras in the next the next No, few I scenes. really I was Papa. hoping that would continue to happen and it right. didn't. I was like, ooh. This is interesting. Yeah, because I would love to know more about uh, Jimmy, for instance. I mean, I would like I, – I, I'm always fascinated by, like – because that is a really interesting way to break the fourth wall yeah. that is, like, not done for, like – I don't know if I've ever seen it. Um, and I like that yeah. one of them's answer is, like, current occupation extra in a film. Yes. is the best line. It's probably, probably the funniest it's... thing in the entire movie, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And and sure enough, we see like uh, we see his him incom- inconspicuously as a extra in a scene two two minutes later. Yep, so, no, it's wonderful. Like, I'm like, there he yeah. is. He's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's hilarious. It really is. Uh, yeah, I I really did enjoy this movie. Um, I think. As I've said, I think we were meant to feel sort of bored in. No, absolutely. In De- the parts definitely, definitely. where, we where are. Karina was also feeling bored. Absolutely, so, that's definitely so true. And like, it. you're supposed to not I... like the Goddard stand-in at that time. Like, right. boy, this guy sucks. Right. Like, no more right. records, right? Like, you you get a record every yeah, 50 when he books. berates her. <laughs> yeah, like, we I agreed. mean, you're supposed to hate we him, agreed. right? Yeah. Right. Right. And and that's an inter- that's a whole other thing for if that's a Goddard stand-in, right? Like him coming to terms with what might be wrong with him. Yeah, being kind of I mean, like the possibility that he's coming to terms with being a controlling asshole who's also boring. Yeah, is that that's an interesting like thing to start thinking about yourself, right? Like that's fascinating, and that's that's an interesting aspect to where he's coming from. In that he married a rich woman, so he really doesn't have, while while he has an amount of freedom in a life of idleness, 
it's not his money. So, so maybe there's, there's something in that too, that when he finally gets, when, when he has to live on his own accord, he's not very good at it and lashing out about it pretty well, quick. And, and I find it interesting also because keep in mind at the beginning, his wife was trying to force him to get a job, right? Yes. Through her dad. Yes. And, and so in that sense, it was about him being sort of controlled, right? Like he doesn't yeah. have a choice here, really. And then when he is in control, he is also a controlling asshole. Yes. Like it's a the sort of a, a circular thing there. That um, there, There's some interesting Goddard self-reflection. Uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about Goddard, like in the same way we've talked about Fellini or anything. Like I don't know if Goddard gets better at that kind of stuff or not. Um, later on at being right. at being self-reflective well you, being self-reflective just, doing something Fellini based just, on it yeah Fellini like, just uh, leads into self-reflection as its own end right so. he's like well I self-reflected here we are yeah. Um, yeah. would you like to watch another movie about me <laughs> um, yes. I have lots um, yeah. whereas I, I don't know enough about Goddard's sort of future path I mean we do know that he becomes more politically active and starts acquiring right. enough knowledge to actually make good political points rather than poorly yeah. conceived ones but um, I, I think know. in this in this part of Goddard's career so many of his male main characters are people he wishes he could be when he's right. when he's making the gangster movies the gangster totally. S movies the gangster inspired movies these are movies <clears throat> where the characters love certain film characters that Goddard loves and want to emulate those film characters in the same way that Goddard wishes he could emulate right. them in real life and then they start to actually um, put it into real life right whereas like Right. Goddard has to stop at the point of dreaming about right. it. His characters in those movies actually do it, which, um, which of course is yeah. You know, also, well, it's, it's usually commentary in the movie, right? It's ruinous. Which <laughs> like, is why it's Goddard worth noting that it Goddard at least understands right. that it's a ruinous <laughs> thing to do. He he knows why he can't do it in real life, right? So, I mean, the thing about it is though is I don't see this person as being aspirational, right? Like Ferdinand right. is right. not aspirational. Like Goddard exactly. probably does not. Probably, Goddard probably does see himself as like. Right. This is which a stand-in rather is, than a aspiration. Which is where I where I feel like this is Goddard processing what's yeah, maybe been a going little bit on. of growth. And I think, and I think, the the quote Brody points out about Goddard talking about what the movie was about is an indication that this is Goddard processing, not even necessarily just the divorce, but other changes in his life that are precipitating mm -hmm. at the same time, and maybe maybe caused by realizations that are popping up around the divorce too. But I think moving forward, maybe not a hard line right now, but moving forward, we see Goddard become a different person. Not fundamentally right. a different person, because Goddard is always Goddard, and look at Goddard's right. more recent work. <laughs> right, right, right. We, talk, we talked about the ending of uh, Varda's right, uh, right. Just no Places, and, and, uh, and Goodbye to Language is not that old at this point within the last decade, and it's also Goddard at some of his Goddardist, but... Right. Uh, but it is still Goddard becoming a different person, still true to himself, but but a different iteration of himself. Uh, 
And I think he's going through those growing pains in this movie. And I feel that in this movie. And maybe maybe that's not true to life. Maybe it is, but it's it's the feeling I get from watching. And this I would movie I would too. agree that that's I mean yeah. that's what I get as well. And right. I think possibly that may be so why some of the in addition to the wackiness, why critical reception maybe wasn't as great as it could have been, is that like I don't ever get honestly my impression of a lot of critics is that they don't actually like growth. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Like because we talked about it last week with a Varda with the last Varda um, one, last week two weeks ago, um, and the idea that like they want you to have your thing right, and they want that thing. Pe- right, you know, right, right. There's a value in never changing your thing, and right. this is a definite change of in your being thing. compartmentalized. Yeah. Like Goddard is not making a band apart here, right? That's not what's happening. Even even as the male female relationship sort of still mimics some of his yeah. earlier movies, yeah. it is it is doing a different thing. Um, and you know, of course, Alphaville right below before this was a very different thing. And Alphaville we watched so so oh, long God, ago, uh, yeah. And barely to be perfectly it. honest, Alphaville had always bored me. I. Uh, I definitely said this in the episode, and it was you know seven years ago that we talked about it. But before we watched Alphaville for this, I had attempted to watch Alphaville three times right. and fell asleep each time. Um, so, so Alphaville is its own weird thing, but it was also, I think, the first Goddard we watched for Lost in Criterion, and in that way, uh, it. It was definitely a weird introduction to right, it. So, and I, right, and I, in hindsight, so. kind of want to watch Alphaville again. Oh, I'm sure we definitely feel differently so, about Alphaville. that was so long ago. And I yeah. didn't even, like, that was so early in the collection, I had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Right, right, right. Alphaville is probably another one we should add, add it to point, the list of ones it. we'll talk about <laughs> how we should revisit at least right. if not well i mean we it, it has happened in the past it happened yeah. with Varda. i may do this one again because it's not a very right. long movie right um, right and it might we have infinite goddard left we do so i always, mean always, i could always, always more goddard on the yeah. horizon it wouldn't uh, hurt to like maybe know this about it yeah uh this is yeah um like I said, this is this is Goddard being playful. This is Goddard maybe working through some meta emotion in and and his life with Anna Karina. Um to that extent it certainly could be a much more vindictive film totally. than it is. Yeah. Um so well, I mean it's I'm not even really vindictive at all, really. Right. This is I'm just, glad to not, see it the way yeah. it is. Uh yeah. Um Yeah. It got away from us a little bit of maybe talking about Marina Renoir as representative France, but I also don't know like it's it's political takes that are mostly fo- focused on the US imperialism anyway. So Right. Like, and 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 again, I feel like they're so wishy-washy that I don't really want to commit to figuring out what right, they right. mean. Right. So like, and then her representing Maria, France, I think, is also yeah. equally confusing yeah. because I feel yeah. like these are all sort of concepts that aren't fully developed right. in the movie. 
Like Marianne Renoir is definitely a meaningful name, but what exactly it means in the course of this film, right. I think, still escapes me. Right, exactly. Uh, Same here. And I and I think like trying to plumb those depths would just be like a fool's errand, honestly. Yeah. We'll yeah. never get anywhere. <laughs> that's that's fair. Uh so yeah, I think uh I think on that note of us not getting anywhere, it's a good time to call for an end to this Lost in Criterion episode. <laughs> uh, this week we have been talking about Perois le Faux uh, from 1965. Uh, I think the U.S. release was until 68, if I remember correctly, but I'm not actually seeing that information at this point. Uh, this was actually the French submission for the 38th Academy Awards. Uh, it did not get... <laughs> the, oh, the Academy I'm was like, nope. shocked. <laughs> Paint me shocked. Thanks, France. No French movies this year. <laughs> yeah, thank you anyway. Yeah. Uh, next week, we will be talking about The Last Emperor, uh, Bernardo Bertolucci's adaptation of the biography of the life of Puyi, The Last Emperor of China. It'll be an interesting conversation and a long movie, I'm sure. So yeah, probably I haven't checked, but we probably yeah, 163 minutes. Um, yeah, but we do look forward to that. So we'll see you again next week. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Lead on Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Otari Dorgan. And bye. Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.